ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Thursday edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. As we do each and every Thursday, it's strictly b-ball. It's strictly hoops. And the man that I bring in to do, talk that talk with me, as we go high-low, I'm in the low block. Dino's at the highest block. That's the shooter. And we go high-low. We talk ball. My man, Dino, the Dean Hansen. How you doing, brother? And I'm going to feed you down low in the paint so you can go ahead and punish him. But the great thing about us going high and low is that when push comes to shove, you can also go high and I go low, depending upon the advantages that we have. And it ain't analytics. It's the game of basketball. So, my brother, as always, man, Thursdays is one of the best days to look forward to where we get into what's actually happening in the world of hoops. NBA, college, everything, you name it. So let's go. Okay, so everything starts let's right now. Let's rock and roll, my brother. Let's get to it, man. Let's punish him. Let's... Everything starts right now with the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, and the coaching search is clearly at the top of that. We haven't seen much activity really across the NBA. We've had eight openings, only two hirings. You had Steve Nash in Brooklyn. For the Nets, and then you get um, <clears throat> New York hires Tom Thibodeau. Um, first, I want to get to Nash before we get deeper into Pelicans, though, because Kyrie Irving said something very <laughs> interesting today. And to me, this is why I have always had concerns about having a player like Kyrie Irving on your on my team, because when Kyrie says we don't re- have a head coach on this team. Some nights Steve can be the head coach. Some nights KD can be the head coach. Some nights I can be the head coach. Some nights Jacques Vaughn can be the head coach. That don't seem like any way to run an NBA team to me. They have that old saying, too many cooks spoil the broth. Sound like you got a lot of cooks in Brooklyn. Dave is called coaching by committee now, I guess. So, you know, having input in play calling, having input in what goes on on the court. We've always done that as players. When coaches call a certain play and we notice certain things, we can have input. But for us, even as senior leaders and as captains, we've never considered ourselves to be a coach. It's our responsibility to assess situations, and maybe there was something that I recognized from a play call earlier that would give us an advantage. But to to go ahead and, and, and give yourself or then try to also play it back by saying, well, some nights KD could be the coach, some nights Jacques Vaughn could be the coach. Well, hold on. Steve Nash and Jacques Vaughn are the coaches. So why are you saying some nights Jacques Vaughn could be the coach? He is part of the coaching staff. There is a level that still has to be there. And, of course, you want your players' input. Of course, you want them to be engaged. 
but to never utilize yourself or make yourself come off as if you are determining the direction and that you have that much say so and what goes on from a bench standpoint these are the things that ruffled feathers in Cleveland that got him booted out of Boston because of the egregious level that he puts himself in positions as opposed to, okay, yeah, Kyrie, you're my point guard. I need you to be an extension of the team. I need you to run the floor as a point guard. But you're not the coach. You're just not. Regardless of how much input you have, I am the coach of this basketball team. And what that does is it makes it very contentious amongst the rest of the players on that basketball team. And we've seen what happens going back to the Clippers. When you start to differentiate and when you start to give yourself more power, when as a coach you tend to let the team want to dictate and run things, it will get you terminated because you are no longer in charge. And now I'm pretty sure Kyrie feels because KD has made it a point to bring in Steve Nash because Steve Nash is in his first year. Kyrie is flexing himself, saying that, hey, I got power and I can coach too. And they got Kenny Atkinson fired. I mean, that's just the truth. If, if, Kenny, if KD wanted yes. Kenny Atkinson, he would be there right now. If Kyrie wanted Kenny Atkinson, he would yes. be there right now. And if I'm Steve Nash, I've just been undermined before I walk in and coach game one. Like you said, with the rest of my team now, what does that practice dynamic look like? What is a locker room dynamic? If you say you equal with Steve, you equal with Jacques, how can I trust you too? How can I trust you? Because there is a barrier between the coach-employee relationship, coach-player relationship. There has to be a barrier. That is your supervisor in a sense in the real world. And yes, you want. I want the input when I when I'm on. If I see somebody, if somebody's on the court, they've got eyes that are different than mine than me standing on the sideline. So when you come off the court, hey, I see my man doing this. I think if we ran this, this might work. Okay, let's put that in. We got that in consideration. I feel real comfortable, coach. I need a jumper right now. Can you set me up? Okay, I hear those things. But if you're gonna say you're the coach of my team, and you're gonna put that on me before game one. Before you, before, and if anybody would have said that, if if Steve Nash comes out and says, "Hey, I'm going to empower my players," you know, this is my first time coming in as a head coach. I am the coach, but I want to empower my players to come to me with their opinions, and we're going to talk about them. I want them to feel a part of this. That's one thing. Exactly. If a player comes out and states it, like you said, if I'm Karis Levert, if I'm Spencer Dinwiddie, if I'm one of those guys, then I'm saying, well, what does that make me? How am I now a part of this? Because you can talk about, we know coaches treat stars different. We know that on any team, it's, you get a little bit mm -hmm. of difference. But at the same time, there has to be order and, and understanding that if Shaq don't come to practice today without Phil's permission, Phil is going to get on Shaq's ass. Yes. It was the whole thing. Jordan, we saw it in, in, in the last dance. Last Phil dance. Ain't there to, wasn't there to be Michael Jordan's buddy. He's there to have his respect. And sometimes you got to tell the guy that you respect. Same with Scotty. Same with sometimes I'm making decisions that you don't like because I'm the coach. And ultimately, the responsibility is mine. If somebody's going to get fired, it's going to be me. You get yep. your check. You're going to get your yep. $35 million, Kyrie. 
Yes, sir. So that part to me is why, again, Kyrie is an intelligent person. Kyrie is a gifted ball player, but mm-hmm. I do not see Kyrie Irving as a leader of men. Kyrie puts himself in a position of authority and power. Kyrie thinks that being a leader of a, a, of a team means that he dictates everything that goes on, which causes dissension amongst the rest of your teammates. And you're right. You made a fantastic point. If Steve Nash had come out and said that, it would be a totally different tone that was taken. And even a Karis Levert, even a Spencer Dinwiddie would feel like, well, okay, I'm glad to know that I am part of this coaching staff as well and that I understand what coach is saying, that I can come to him and address certain things. That's fantastic. That open door policy, if you will. But when your point guard, and let's not forget this, Dave, when Kyrie came back this past season, He threw his teammates under the bus already when he came back before he decided he wasn't going to play before he decided everything went on with, 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 you know, with the season coming to an end early. So you've already, you already have factors that Steve Nash is coming into because again, your level of leadership doesn't mean being demonstrative nor demeaning to your teammates. You cause in an abundance of dissension because now here goes Kyrie again, deeming himself worthy, more worthy than my teammates. That's going to be a problem. And now Steve Nash is coming into a situation that he's never coached in before. Being in the front office of an organization and being on the court as a coach are two different levels of understanding the game of basketball. He's not really, he wasn't really in the front office. He was a consultant, which is very, right. Right, right. You know, but but, but, but I I said that in in relationship to coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, you're engaged from a different standpoint of, you know, you can have conversations and be buddy, buddy with KD and be buddy, buddy with Steve and just kind of mention a few things here and there. Now, the onus is all on you and that buddy buddy relationship even has to cease with KD. You can still have a relationship, but there has to be a, 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 a level of, I am the coach. You are my player. You're the star player. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, as we've seen with the Clippers, Kawhi and Paul George for as bad as he is, they're going to be there. Doc Rivers is going. And, of course, we agree that it needed to change. Had to. But, when it comes to, but when it comes to Kyrie crowning himself as a coach and then trying to backtrack and make it seem as if, oh, well, everybody's going to be a coach at some point in time. Well, if everybody's going to be a coach, why didn't you mention that 12th player on the team as opposed to KD and Jacques Vaughn? So that way, your teammates can at least understand. But your teammates right now, you know what they're thinking? Here we go again. Yep, it's the Kyrie show. Here we show. go again. And to further that, his comments of, for the first time in my, my career, I can look over and I have a motherfucker who can make the shot. Again, bro. <laughs> you played with last year. You, you think somewhere Jason Tatum is not sitting with somewhere going, Negro. It's somewhere that LeBron James is not reading that and going, 
Negro, you know what I mean? Like this. That's people, why. And that's people that's try to call you a kid. You don't think Kevin Love is looking like what? And, and all like, these guys who played with him, and even if you were on the Nets team last year, if you're on that team last year, and you're like, if you're Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, all these guys, and you looking at him, and he's saying, "I finally got a motherfucker. I think you hit the shot." Whoa, 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 whoa! Again, Kyrie. It's one thing to say, man, it is a privilege to have one of the greatest scorers in NBA history on my team. It takes so much pressure off of all of us to have somebody like KD on the roster who I know can score from anywhere on the floor at any time when our offense is struggling. That's a security blanket that I've never felt like I've had. Everybody would understand that. Because a lot of things that you're saying aliens as if we less than. So we need to clear stuff up because they, you know, as well as I know, regardless of all the talent that you have on your team, brother, if the air is not clear, you are going to have problems all season long. And there's only so much that you can try to work through, especially when the media gets a hold of it. It's going to show, it will show that there is a dissension and there is locker room issues because the issues have not been addressed. So Kyrie is wrong, again, on every level for even coming out and saying such right now, man. Yeah, if you believe that, that's one thing. If you believe it, that's one thing. But to actually express that and let it be known to your teammates and your coach, now you got a front office that are saying, like, hold on. Maybe everybody else isn't the issue because let's be honest. Look at Boston. Boston excelled when Kyrie was gone. And you didn't hear about beef. You didn't hear about problems. You didn't hear about people talking about who's going to shoot at the end of the game. You didn't hear about people talking about that they weren't being heard. Yeah, Marcus Smart got into it in the postseason. That stuff happens. But certainly also that is part of on the Celtics on their age because they are a very young team. And they don't have a veteran who would have said, like an Al Horford who was there last year, just say, everybody shut the, shut the hell up and keep this in the locker room. You can, or we can argue and yell in here all we want. But once you walk yeah. out of there and, you st- and the media hears it and all that stuff, it's different. We can yell in here and we can yell at practice tomorrow. We can yell when we get back to the hotel. We can do all of that. We can have all the shouting matches we want. But you ain't going to do this in front of people who are going to report it. And that's what vets do. That's what vets do all the time because the teams that you don't hear nothing about, you never heard nothing come out of San Antonio. And I will guarantee you that there were times when Tim Duncan wanted to punch Manu Ginobili. I'll guarantee you there were times when Manu was getting on Greg Popovich's nerves to the point that he was ready to get rid of him. I'll guarantee you that Tony Parker drove people crazy at time to time, but they ain't never, that stuff never got out. It ain't never get out. Never got out. The only thing that ever got out in coach pops, history was this whole Kawhi situation right and that's gonna that's happen the only thing. eventually some every coach is gonna have a player that just I don't feel you it's just gonna happen but when you but when you look at the history of San Antonio 20 plus years of being in the playoffs 50 plus games every year and we know as athletes and as coaches there is always an issue in the locker room but the fact that in 20 plus years None of that ever came out of the locker room. You want to talk about a culture. You want to talk about a level of understanding. You want to talk about veteran leadership and holding guys accountable. They are the example of that, man. And if that's what you want out of your players, you want, I don't want 
as a coach, as a general manager, I don't want players ever in public. The only time they should be talking about I in public, and it's fine. We, we have none of us have ever had a problem saying a player saying I'm great, um, in the sense of you know we don't have a problem if if players say I think I'm the best player in the world. That's fine. Say that if that's what you think. If you you're got supposed to, to feel that way, absolutely. If you as long as you fine. produce, it yeah, you can back it up. Cool. But if you were talking in the team sense about I, unless you were talking about accountability as in I must lead, I must produce, I must hold my teammates and myself accountable, I must show up every day, I must practice to the best of my ability, I must be on the same page with my head coach. If those aren't the things you're saying after the word I, mm-hmm. then don't talk in public, man. Don't talk about what we're doing yep. over here because you are messing up the message and you are, you are putting salt in the water before we even get to taste it. You know what I'm saying? And I just don't, yeah, I don't. That's exactly what you're doing. I just, that's exactly I don't what like you're doing. It. You're having to do, like you're having to do damage control before camp even opens up. You're if having I'm Jared to. Jared Allen, yeah. These are dudes who think that they can be all-stars too. Jared Allen, Karis LeVert was, all, was an all-star, right? Spencer Dinwiddie was six man of the year. I mean, a six man of the year candidate and a most improved player candidate. Mm-hmm. These aren't dudes who are mm-hmm. slouches on that team. These dudes made the playoffs without you. The without you, exactly. And this and year, they almost the missed it because of you. Because you didn't, yeah. you weren't ready to play. And because KD's gone, they had to sacrifice a year because of the organization's ideas. So the, all those guys I lost have, a year. So come I on, have man. no issue going on record by saying this. For as talented as Kyrie is for as high of a basketball IQ as he has, he's a cancer. He just is. And when you are adding to statements like you just made again today, you show and you reveal yourself even more so to be that cantankerous type of basketball player on your team when you have to have your teammates there, because here's what's going to happen. You see, when your teammates decide they don't want to play with you and they're going to do this, and so on, then you're going to get an attitude. But you sparked this conversation, dude. You sparked their attitudes by speaking out of turn. You got out of pocket, man. You know, and 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 and, and, and with Kyrie being a vet compared to guys that are on that team, dude, this is far from a level of leadership. Far from it. He's got to – he should He should be getting in the dirt. That's what he should be getting in. Everything that, that, that the Nets should be talking about in the postseason, I mean in the offseason, should be about getting tougher, getting healthier, getting on the same page. And, and that's all you should be talking about. And Steve Nash that's should it. be at the forefront of that. If he's going to assert himself as an NBA head coach, then the first thing I would be telling guys is, hey, talk – Everything should be about team, guys. It has to. We're trying to build a new culture here. That's what we're doing. Because you, you have said organizationally that you're throwing out Kenny Atkinson's culture, and that was not the one you wanted. So now, are you going to let Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, who are both short-term guys, Kevin Durant, no matter what, at this stage, after an Achilles tear like that, he ain't got seven years left in him. I don't, you know what I'm Far saying? Far from it. Far from that. And Kyrie has been an injury-prone player throughout his career. Especially so these, these are, last couple of seasons. So he's a short-term guy in my mind. If they are the guys who create your culture, then what you're saying, too, is Steve Nash ain't going to be around that long either. Right. So right. I, I just don't like that setup. I don't feel like Brooklyn is – it's not just – I'm not blaming Steve Nash for this. 
I'm blaming Brooklyn for this because they have empowered Kyrie and KD in the wrong ways. Players should absolutely have power. Like we've said in organization, they should absolutely feel like they're, they're being heard and they should absolutely have the, the ability to walk in and management and give their opinion. That don't mean you always, right. they're going to do what you say. Right. But at the risk of the problems that you are going to exacerbate now more than ever, you are trying to set a tone in the culture of where your team's going to go. But let me tell you the other aspect, in addition to that, that I have felt some way about to begin with. And I understand him being – you holding him valuable enough after taking over the interim job as a head coach, but you don't value him enough to have him be the head coach. But yet, we're going to keep you on the staff, though. And you're going to shout him out. Like, yo, if you love Jacques Vaughn that much, why didn't you stand up for Jacques Vaughn and say, let him keep, it, keep his job? He did a great job in the bubble. Now you want to shout him out as an assistant? Jacques, I, I tell you, you know there's a part of Jacques Vaughn. I'd be insulted personally. I'd be That's just burning. Bro, I'd be insulted personally. So let me get this straight. After what we did, and you heard the players on the team after game say, Man, Jacques Vaughn kept us together. He kept us focused. He kept us engaged. He made us want to go out there and play. You heard the players speak up. You entrusted him to be the interim. You play extremely well, and you battled in the bubble. But and even in the playoffs, gonna... they put up a fight. I mean, they got but, beat. They put up a fight in the playoffs, too. But we're not going to give you the job, but we highly respect you, so we want to keep you on the staff of the new head coach that's coming in. Wait, he has no experience as a head coach or as an assistant. And we're going to put him the... above you, but we're going to make you the highest paid assistant to, to make you quiet. Well, you know what? If that's the case... <clears throat> excuse me, if that's the case, put me in the front office then. Because quite frankly, I don't want to be on the bench after having been the lead coach to now going back to stay in your place now. Because that's what it feels like. All right? We respect you. But we don't value you, though. Yeah, exactly. You're not, a head co- you're not our even head though coach. You've, even though you've been a head coach before, we respect you. But we don't value you. Dude, that is an exercise in dysfunction. That's all that is. Okay? That's like when you go to your boss for a raise and, oh, man, they give you every reason why you deserve a raise, but but we're not going to give it to you right now. Wait, what, 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 what the hell? What the shit was the conversation about? And then? this part, too. Think about this if you're Steve Nash. So they, let's say the Nets get off to a bad start. Let's you're looking they, over your shoulder. There's going to be people who said, Jacques did this, this, that, and other. Why? And Steve don't have no experience. Yep. And those are things that also rip up teams. Guys who played hard for Jacques Vaughn, guys who committed and bought into Jacques Vaughn and his message. If Steve Nash comes in and that message is not right, you have set it up for a divided locker room because there are going yes, to be sir. people in there who are loyal to Jacques Vaughn. That's just the nature of life. They just finished going through the, the situation in a bubble with that man, and he was there for them in that time, the most difficult time of their careers for many of these guys. There is a loyalty there that does not break. And Steve Nash, no matter Hall of Fame or whatever, 
that relationship is different. And if he doesn't come out and get a success from day one, if they are not a good team from the time that ball rolls out, there are going to be people talking about Jacques Vaughn. And, and you have a different outlook and perspective when you have gone to war with the guy. And then all of a sudden, that guy is pushed back as if, again, we respect you. We just don't value you as our head coach. That, again, is going to cause division in your locker room. So now you're dealing with that aspect. You're dealing with the Kyrie Irving aspect that's added to that now. And, Dave, you haven't even finished the NBA Finals yet of this season, which was already a difficult challenge to go through. And you haven't even gone to camp yet. And you are already dealing with what? fires like in california and you're like i've got to put out fires and i haven't even gotten to camp nor hang out with my team yet nope that's a problem if that's a, if that's how you are starting if that's how you're starting as i tell people i say listen if you've been in a dysfunctional bad environment your whole life you're gonna feel like that's the norm when in actuality that's not the norm. We were talking about this the other day when it comes to truth. Just because you want to ignore it or because you want to dismiss it doesn't mean that it's not the truth because you don't want to believe it. The truth is the truth. Whether you believe it, accept it or not, that's the truth. So now it's a fire starter and I don't care what anybody says, I'm going into the locker room with this already on my mind. And no matter what kind of conversations we have, that's going to still stick in my head, man. This is what I'm going into already. So now what's going to happen? You're going to have guys who are free agents that were thinking, you know, I like what we did in the bubble. I like the way we ended the season. I like the way that Jacques brought us all in and we became one. We were in the foxhole battling together. Now all of a sudden, those free agents are like, you know, I don't even know if I want to go and deal with this mess in Brooklyn now, man. Just that quickly. Just that quickly. It, it, no, everybody acknowledges the hierarchy. You know what I'm saying? Nobody on a team. It's not like right now, Quinn Cook ain't over on the Lakers bench talking about, I know, I, you know, I'm, I'm the equal of LeBron or AD. He ain't doing right. it. Right. But at the same time, he doesn't, if, if, if it were, if it felt like, and yeah, LeBron is always different because we talk about every organization has to be reshaped in his mold, except for Miami when he was there. But you do have to do reshaping when LeBron is around and he becomes this vacuum of attention. But at the same time, you've not seen Lakers ownership. You've not seen Lakers coaches. You've not even seen other players add to any of the things that you think negatively about LeBron, that he is the coach in charge, that he is these things, the same, the problems that he had with David Blatt in Cleveland. You're not hearing those things in LA because there's an established team culture. You have enough veterans around culture. here. You have enough guys who say, okay, yep. I can deal with LeBron however I need to. I can deal with AD however I need to. Some of them be free. And you don't want a team. Everybody ain't friends. Some of them get along. Some of them just cool on the court. Some people, I don't want to see you no more till tomorrow right. practice. It's just that way. Right. But you respect the hierarchy. You know who's getting the minutes. You know who's getting the shots. And I Matter of fact, when, when the Lakers won the WCF, 
it was interesting. If you saw the body language on Rob Palinka, he didn't even really want to get up there and talk because he wanted to stay about the team. And I respect that. I like that aspect of it. It's like, listen, guys, that's great that, you know, I was intricately involved, but it's your time and it's your moment. And even if guys don't get along, you can see there is still a level of respect for each other on that team. You haven't seen Jeannie Buss in the media the way her brother was. You haven't heard any of the chaos and confusion since she took over operations again. Even with Magic leaving, they still handled that internally to a degree. Of course, the media got a wind of it. Why? Because Magic chose to put it out there, but not the organization. Because I guarantee you, if Jeannie had her way, Magic would still be involved in a front office level position in some fashion, even if that is a consultant. But Magic is the one that made it look bad. Not the organization, not Jeannie Buss. Shut up, because he couldn't exactly. shut up. Exactly, exactly. You he know, can't help but you, be magic. And you have to know when to cut that off. You have a if you respect Jeannie Buss and the organization that much that you love so much, you make you have a conversation with Jeannie and them so y'all can strategically put it together how you're going to control the media and what is disseminated. That's fine, Magic. You don't want to be in the office anymore. That's fine, Magic. You don't want to be seen visible anymore. That's perfectly fine. But we're going to keep the optics of it. You're still going to have an office. You are still going to be around. We're going to control the aspect and the logistics of it all. There's no need for you to talk about it. But let's have that conversation amongst us to direct and control how it is disseminated. And that's where he stepped out of line because you know the Lakers, the, 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 the Lakers organization is a proud tradition. It is, I mean, it, even you though know, the fans kind of have lowered their standards, like they act like the, they've never won a championship now. The all of a fans sudden. have, but the organization, the organization has still has, remained mm-hmm. as they are. Matter of fact, last night, because because I'm watching the LA news channel after the Lakers game and to show you the strong legacy that they have, who do they have on there doing their post game, Michael Cooper and Norm Nixon. And let's not forget magic is the reason why Norm Nixon was no longer in LA. But they won one title together and they had to trade him away for Byron Scott. Byron Scott became exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they still have a hold on their organization and the information that is disseminated and the way the optics are for this organization. We are the Lakers. We don't do what anybody and everybody else does. And I guarantee, matter of fact, let's, 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 let's add to this. Dave, you haven't heard LeBron nor AD come out and say anything off the cuff in regards to what is going on internally with the Lakers, be it good, bad, or indifferent, because they understand, guys, what goes on stays right here. And there's no reason for us to have it out here in the media. And and they learned they got burned last year. And like you said, magic was a big reason for a lot of that burn. Um, yeah. But I think that again, I would imagine that Jeannie said, we ain't doing this two years in a row. I would imagine that, mm-hmm. that Jeannie was just like, and she told Rob, who is a very quiet guy. Rob Blink is very. not an emotional dude. That's just not who he is. But, that is actually the tenor you needed for a LeBron circus. You can't have a general manager who is also a circus, who was also, and I think that's what hurt Magic 
with magic is that magic has to be in the center because he's always been in the center. His entire life, yep. he's been in the center. Yes. And most people who are great executives don't like to be seen. People who... Urban, who, Urban spends too much time as magic. And that's yes. all Urban knows is magic. You he's been magic longer than he's been Urban at this point. Urban is a hard exactly. dude to find. Like, <laughs> Cookie might be the only one who knows Urban at this point. Yep. You know what I mean? And his family. Magic? Magic still thinks he's playing for the Lakers and still has to be the life of the party and at the front of it all. He doesn't know how to sit back and play a different role and a different perspective now that you have to in that front. And that's why we, and I mean, we're getting off topic, but this is interesting to me because I look at it as, you know, we talk about Larry Bird and Larry Bird was, was a more successful coach than Magic Johnson. Mm -hmm. And we saw Larry Bird's demeanor on the sideline. Remember the, the most famous thing about Larry Bird's time as a coach that we all remember is while Reggie Miller is spinning around after he hits the three, that's going to send Indiana on. You know, I mean, that they're about to, that they thought they were going to move on the year that they thought mm -hmm. they were going to beat Chicago and move on. Well, Bird is still standing there with his arms folded. He ain't folded. celebrating. He ain't right. smiling. Right. He's thinking about the next play. The it's game demeanor. ain't over. Nope. As far as Bird was, he's like, there's still, what, there was like three seconds left on the clock. Bird's like, we got to play. We got to defend for three more seconds. And he that, never got caught up in the moment or the emotions of it. Then he gets them to the finals the next year and they lose to a, a Lakers team that was just better. That was just yeah. better. They took yeah. them six games, but they were still better. The Lakers were just better. Mm -hmm. Bird, Bird says, I don't want coach no more. He said, All I want to do is three years. I'm out. He's out. Moves to the front yeah. office. How many times did you see Larry Bird or hear from him? while he was the general manager of the Pacers. Other than when the camera would pan to find him and he in the crowd, and he was still stoic and still with his arms folded. So, I mean, look, and R.C. Slocum. I mean, not Slocum, um, Buford in, in um, Buford San Antonio. in San Antonio. Never see him. You uh, never see him. You Simon never hear from him. In Toronto. Nothing. Never see him. Never see him. Nothing. Now that, now let's we transition to someone that we do see a lot of as a general, as a vice president of basketball operations, Mr. David Griffin, who has made himself <laughs> very visible, very visible all year long since he became yeah. the Pelicans vice president. He has been everywhere. He, there have been more commercials I've seen with David Griffin than any other Pelicans player this mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. So now we get into this coaching search. And like we said, most teams have most of the teams with vacancies have not hired coaches. Even though we think that Doc Rivers, it looks like is going to be the next coach in Philly, seems like they're which closing is, in on the deal. Which, which is, is hilarious to me. Work. Which it's is hilarious to me. It's, it's not, not gonna. When I got wind of that, I was like, okay, so you had CP3, Jay Croft, and Blake and DeAndre, and you couldn't make it work. Now you have it again with Kawhi, with PG13, with uh with chicken wings, Lou, and so on and so forth, and you said, "Oh, duh. That, that, he's Boston chicken wings, ended, Lou, for life for me." Austin, Boston okay. ended in bad. Boston, with dudes Boston ended with each badly other. after after winning a championship, which again I give that credit to Paul Pierce, KG, Ray Allen. They saved his career. Veterans. They literally they saved his career. Veteran leadership. Let's not forget him being in Orlando as well. 
and getting okay. never getting out of the first round with Tracy McGrady. And you can talk about Grand Hill's injury, but if you can't get out of the first round when it was still five games with Tracy McGrady, bruh. So bruh. to me, if Philadelphia does this, if they pull the string and bring in Doc, it's for cachet purposes only. It's a name, it's visibility. But here's the thing about it. Let's be honest, Dave, at this point, you're the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you need cachet? Do you need for you to have a coach who needs to be visible? Because here's the thing about it. At the end of the day, you still have not produced anything when you have been given more than any other coach there is. Look at Miami right now. Coach Spo doesn't have anybody but a bunch of tough guys who understand their role and who bought in with Jimmy Butler, who has a culture that is there. Doc, could you imagine a Coach Spo with a Dwayne Wade and a Shaq? Oh, yeah, right. He did have Dwayne Wade and Shaq. And he I mean, won. If, he, if he had CP3 and Blake Griffin, I think he would have at least gotten that thing to come. You know what, Chris Paul? And that's the thing, too. Doc was blessed with great leaders, too. And that's what I'm get, saying. And you, because Chris Paul is the leader of the you know the point guard of his generation. He is that. He's dude. showing you that. Rondo is is one of the great leaders of all time. So is so. I'm I, you KG that. is one of is a self motivated player and a former MVP. Exactly. Ray Allen may need, be the most professional player that you will exactly. ever see. I don't need anybody. Those guys didn't need anybody to help them get to that next. Level. They were there. I, they, they were, were already at that level. <laughs> and let's not forget, unlike Kyrie, KG set the tone by saying, we are going to put this together and win a championship together. It wasn't about me coming from Minnesota and what I had done in Minnesota and what I'm going to do in Boston. But my point of saying that, spinning it back to Coach Spostra, when he had talent, he won. He got them to the finals and has rings. Oh, okay. Well, let me have Dwayne du- uh, Wade and now LeBron James and Chris Boss and Ray Allen. What do they do? Win. I say that in versus comparison to Doc. Doc Rivers. You had those same attributes of players on your team and you didn't win. So now you're going to go into an environment in Philadelphia with a Joel Embiid who refuses to be a big and with a Ben Simmons who refuses to take his game to the next level and add to his repertoire, so you think he's going to do something in Philadelphia? At this point right now, Philadelphia should be focused on one thing only. Dude, we need to be playing in the NBA Finals. We need to be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, not getting a coach for cachet reasons or for name credibility. We are the Philadelphia 76ers. you've got a soft-minded group of guys. Tobias Harris is a soft-minded dude. That's why he's been traded so many times. He's good enough for you to Jimmy like, Butler, but not good enough to stay. You know, and like you said, with Joel Embiid, Butler and JJ Redick. Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick left Philadelphia for a reason. For a reason, not just money, because of the precedence that was being set. And then you got Al Horford, who is there now, who can't stand being there now either. Okay, so and you've given him all that money, and you can't unload Al Horford. You nope. cannot, and you go put him on the bench with twenty plus million dollars. Move Ben Simmons to the four, where he has no post moves. You and I both noticed Ben Simmons' footwork in the post is non-existent. Not even None. not bad. It's non-existent. 
He no does not have a turnaround jump shot. He doesn't. Nothing he that makes him. Nothing that makes him a threat. All he knows is downhill. He doesn't have That's a pull-up jumper. He doesn't have a crossover into a jumper. He doesn't have a step back. He doesn't have a standalone in the corner. He doesn't have he. And who has Doc developed? Ever, ever, ever. So who has Doc developed? No one. Nobody. He's not drafted Nobody. well. He's not trained. In, he's not raised up a single young player. And everybody wants to talk about last year when the Clippers didn't have a superstar. But what did they have? You had Lou Will, who was, uh, will play, played well and has been a two-time six-man of the year. You had Montrez Harrell, who we mm-hmm. knew was, uh, you know, he's doing the things that we always thought he was capable of coming out of college. Those intangibles, yeah. Danilo Gallinari is a professional basketball player, as we know. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. does his job and had been to a Western Conference final finals with Denver so again a dude who I mean not he didn't get to the West Coast finals excuse me because he was part of the mellow trade but he, he had been into the playoffs with Denver before he got to the Clippers uh, so you had guys who had Patrick Beverly was and, more yes. of a real dog last two seasons ago as opposed to last year last they, this season he's trying he was biting behind Kawhi and PG and normally, Paul George, I mean, Pat Bev was out in front. This time, it seemed like he was more of a side dog than a lead dog. Yep. There was too much gravitas on the Clippers team with Doc this past season. So getting back to what we were saying about Doc in Philadelphia, I think it would be a terrible move to go with Doc Rivers as your head coach. Based upon, and again, you saw the tweet and you liked the tweet. This has nothing to do with Doc being a man of character, with Doc speaking up, with Doc showing how proud of a black man he Nothing to do with him personally. This is only from a coaching perspective in which we are speaking of. He is not the guy that is going to get you over that hump to that next level. Not unless he has simple as that. He can't even get you to the level without perfect conditions. He has to have Simple perfect conditions that. to win. And even with the perfect conditions, he couldn't do it. So, and that's and, why I'm glad he's off. If this is and, true, and I'm glad he's off the Pelicans list. That, that, that I perfect, never wanted him on the list. That perfect condition in Boston were Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and teaching a young, hungry Rajon Rondo. But Rondo so, didn't like... <laughs> and exactly. Rondo is also like a self-motivated that. dude. You know Rondo. Rondo is literally. And if people have not sat down and ever talked to Rondo or Man. been around people who don't, Rondo is a basketball genius. Savant. He's a, a basketball savant. His mind yes. is farther yes. ahead than you think. He knows everything about everyone <laughs> on the court. He knows what unlike, you like to eat on game day. Look, unlike, like, unlike, unlike playoff P in the Clippers organization, he is truly playoff Rondo because yeah. he goes to a different level. He has shown you that skill set and that ability to not only elevate his game, but the great thing, and you know we've talked about this, that I love about Rajon, he makes everybody around him better. Everybody. If you're on the court with Rajon, the dude will. And he's you know, not scared of LeBron. No part is so important in that locker room to have somebody who has a beaten LeBron on the court before. So and has checked what, LeBron. He's checked. Le, he has put LeBron in his place before. 
So you gonna but to show it. you, but to show you, let's not forget this. But to show you this, who did LeBron say he wanted on his team for the Lakers? Rajon. But as we he know, Rajon. And as we know, as you and I have discussed before, <laughs> that was all part of the master plan. That was all part of the master plan. It, it, that was the first step to get AD. He called Rajon because. What did we what did we see that last season in New Orleans for Rondo? He Do. owned Do. the locker room. Doe. You know, we listen to Doe. You know, whatever Doe says. And it's funny because you still hear AD saying the same thing. You know, whatever Doe is telling us, you know, we listen to That's the same narrative he was saying here in New Orleans. That's the level of respect. If you want to win, you have to have that level of tenacity, and Rajon Rondo brings it. Rondo can look at anything like LeBron sees, anything. And, you know, people, it's not – this is not a diminishment of LeBron. Everybody, every time you say anything about LeBron, people think you're trying to diss him. What I'm telling you is Rondo can look at LeBron and say to him, if Le- LeBron thinks he sees something and, LeBron, and Rondo doesn't see that that way, Rondo's not scared to say it in the huddle. If LeBron nope. says, I think I can do – and Rondo say, nope, that ain't the play. Just nope. like he didn't look to LeBron when AD hit the game winner against Denver, just like he didn't look over there, and it was about <laughs> Rondo deciding, AD, you go over here, do this, because I know he ain't going to do that. <laughs> That's a Rondo call. If any other point guard is standing – if Alex Caruso is standing there or if any other point guard on that roster, they throw it to LeBron. <laughs> yes. Because they and want LeBron why, to make the decision. And that's why I love Rajon Rondo so much is because he has no problem calling any and everybody out in that situation and in game situation. And even if LeBron came up with saying, I think I can do this, and Doe would say, no, not the time right now, it doesn't mean it won't happen, but just not right now. Rajon is setting that up for later on. But in this instance, I need us to do this for me to put you in that position when you want that play, LeBron. And, dude, that's the thing that you love about him. So the Philly situation, and you're right, just like you said here in New Orleans, I'm so glad that Griff did not go for the cachet name of being serious with Doc Rivers. Again, I don't ever want to see anybody lose their job. Nobody. Doc got 21 right. years as a head coach and – so he's good. 15 years as a player, he ain't hurting he, for nothing. He's set for life. He ain't wanting for nothing. But again, if you are trying to make a culture shift, if you are trying to set your organization up to be taken seriously, Doc Rivers is not your guy. He's not. So Andrew Lopez from ESPN, who we know uh, mm-hmm. very well, has said that the Pelicans have done some interviews via you know, Zoom and, and that – but mm-hmm. they are trying to narrow this field down to two or three guys that they want to bring in for in-person interviews. And that certainly is an issue right now. So I understand that. And like it's, it's part of this pandemic process. Everything has to be changed. The one name we know for sure that we keep hearing is Ty Lue is in the mix. That makes sense. Griffin hired Ty Lue to win him a championship in Cleveland. Cleveland. I get it. Yep. Um, if there are only – three candidates who would you think the other two or three could be i'm gonna go with the two that i have been saying from day one of course ty Lu was in that and you understand the relationship that is there and the fact that people use this narrative oh 
Well, anybody can win when you got a LeBron James. That's not true. People think because you have superstars on your team, if it you- automatically translates to you winning a championship. I don't know if anybody's seen the optics lately, but have you seen the Clippers? That's not true just because you have superstars and talent on your team. And if you it was that easy, it LeBron would be three and five in the finals. Exactly. I mean, three and six in the finals. So, That's I mean, the next thing I was getting ready to say. So if it was that easy, he would be six and oh, like somebody else that we know who has been undefeated when you had a superstar on your team. And then you go to L.A. with superstars and you do the exact same thing that others couldn't do with those same superstars. So that being said to me, yeah, you totally understand why Ty Lue would be one of your guys. Plus, he's also a, a, a coach who had no problem going at LeBron when he was in Cleveland. And that's the kind of attitude that you want of your coach. With these Pelicans in particular, there has to be accountability. You have to have that. And we've used that word, accountability, culture, Mental and physical toughness. Developmental, exactly. So, you know, we've been saying that. So Ty Lue, of course, was one. The second one that I have said and I will continue to champion for because of what he had to go through as a player and understanding not just the top tier guy, but also those role players is Sam Cassell. He has been part of a winning culture, not necessarily with the Clippers, but Doc had him on the staff because of his level of basketball knowledge. I mean, that but goes in back Houston, to you. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So this goes back on Sam Cassell's basketball knowledge, him being able to help develop players, his his overall direction as a leader that you know when Sam Cassell is walking your sideline, he is the man in charge. And there's not going to be any statements from a Drew Holiday or Alonzo Ball about we're all coaches. No. Sam Cassell is shutting that down and setting the tone, which is what you want from your coach in every level. So Sam Cassell, the second one, most definitely Chauncey Billups, whose name has been put around a lot, a given, given. See, here's the thing about it for me, Dave. You want to bring in a guy with a championship work ethic pedigree that leads to winning, not just saying, Oh, well, I was part of a championship team. No, no, no. But did you grind? Did you work at it? Did you do the intangibles that nobody understands or saw? And to me, Chauncey Billups, although he had tried to get a position in the front offices, if you will, for the past few years, his name surfacing has definitely been somebody. This is the guy who knows the game. This is the guy who understands the level of toughness that you have when he played for Detroit as well as Denver, when people didn't realize who Chauncey was. Okay. So, or Chauncey, even just Chauncey, surviving the early part of his career. The early people, part of his career when he, he was could a have been bust. And for yeah. a good three years, people thought Chauncey was like, so a this waste. is another guy. This is another guy who would understand those role players and what it takes to get them motivated and elevated to get to that next level in their intricacies of the game. So we know Ty Lue, Sam Cassell, Chauncey Billups, another person that has surfaced a lot. Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson, which I don't, I don't know. You ain't got a problem with him, but you ain't enthusiastic. Yeah, from a locker room perspective, and granted, a lot of that could have easily been because of the Kyrie situation, 
okay? But in that same vein, you also have to take into account of what he did the previous season before Kyrie got there. So I can't say I'm totally sold on him because I feel like his his sample size really small. It's only four exactly. seasons. Mm-hmm. Exactly. His sample size is really small. And you took the word right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was saying. And then the other name is a Jerry Stackhouse, given that he's coached in the G League, given that he's also worked with younger players coaching them up, he's shown you a level of development, then being at Vanderbilt and taking teams at Vanderbilt that nobody really saw making any noise, but they battled, they competed at a high level. He has a level of respect. He developed the first round pick. He he developed, exactly. He developed the first round pick. So he's shown you his level that he can work with younger guys to develop them in addition to also working with Older guys, let's not forget, he was also in Memphis when Memphis culture was changing as well. So those would be, you know, those would be my front runners. And for some reason, I don't know why he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And it would definitely be somebody that I would have on my list. And I had him on my list when he was in San Antonio. Emi Udoko. I wrote wrote a piece on Emi Udoko. Okay, so... That's another guy who would give you a foundation of stability. And if you notice, and I know you're on the same page with me here, all of the guys who I mentioned outside of Kenny Atkinson are all guys who have understood the level of consistency that you have to have, who understand a culture and a certain tone that you have to bring. And as we said, when we first started doing our Thursday podcast, bro, it's not even so much about the name. It's more about the mindset, the attitude and the focus and the ability to develop players to get them to that next level and understanding execution at the end of quarters, putting yourself in a position to always compete and win games. Now, whoever the coach is, are they going to come here next season and take us to the playoffs are they going to come here and and, and, and and be in a position where we're playing in the second round no not necessarily but what you do want to see out of them is the growth and you want to see the battling you want to see Alonzo Ball understanding situations of no it is not the time to jack up a three just because I'm wide open we leaving you wide open because you ain't made a drop of one and we doubt you're going to make it now so understanding your roles and being able to have a locker room of guys and I'm going to say it because I've been saying it forever since I returned to New Orleans you need a guy who understands it's okay to throw a effing chair it's okay to have an attitude. It's okay to hold your teammates accountable. Or be on the, on the court, and we'll get into this with the Lakers in the heat, on the court, somebody to set a physical tone. Every team has to yes. set the tone, and yes. it's particularly at home, and the nobody has ever felt uncomfortable coming into the Smoothie King Center. Not no. since, again, and we keep doing this, not since Chris Paul left. People walk into the Smoothie King Center and feel like, I'm going to get me a dub. And it's because you do not respect your own home court enough to fight for it. There you go. So you have to have a battle mentality, if you will. And that's the main thing that I want. You want a guy who's going to come in here who is a savvy, seasoned veteran who, as, a, as a coach, 
who understands how to build up, who understands the importance of development, who understands that Lonzo, that's great that your jumper has improved, but I don't but need you to spend it to it. I don't exactly. I need you to break a defense down to make our team better and get guys the shots that they need. What you do is predicated off of what the team does, dude. You get yours at a different time. It's not you get yours first and then. No, you're a tone setter. You're a breaker down of others' defenses. And then defensively, you need to be in a position where you are being the head of that dragon if you will, on the defensive end. The tone in the culture has to be set and has to be changed, and it's important that you have that in a coach. Now, I do know Kenny Atkinson ran a very tough practice. I know he was very tough in the locker room, but I don't necessarily believe that you need someone who is going to be a hard-nosed individual as opposed to an accountable in holding guys' accountability at the highest level. You do need people. to have a, a tone and toughness, but not a hard nose that you can't be reached as a head coach. Yeah, I think people mistake anger for toughness. Yeah. And I, I don't I, – I, again, I don't know Kenny Atkinson personally, and I haven't been around him enough as a coach, you know, and watched enough of his – practice interactions, like you said, it's all reputational. And like people said, there he is thought of very highly. That's 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 yes. unquestioned. Across the league, he's thought of very highly. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking that aside for any of these coaches, and again, for Jerry Stackhouse, when we talk about connections too, his connection to Brandon Ingram, his North Carolina roots, which also have some influence yeah. on a guy like a Zion Williamson, because Jerry Stackhouse in the Carolinas is a is a god. He is a legend. This is oh, a college absolutely. player of the year. This is an All-American at you know at North Carolina. This is a guy who has been coached by uh, the greatest college coach many people think in Dean Smith. Dean he's been Smith, coached yep. by you know he's been coached by. Um, uh, Doug Collins, he's been coached by all these, you know, David Fisdale has been coached by these groups of people. He's been in these situations. And if you're talking about toughness, mental and physical toughness, man, there ain't nobody in the NBA who, that brings was, who is less willing to back down from somebody than Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry that Stackhouse didn't it. back down from Allen Iverson, for better or for worse. But I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you, Jackson, he, didn't back, he didn't back down from Grand Hill when they were teammates. And yes. they, they got along just fine. And he didn't back down from Michael Jordan when they were on the Wizards. So it's if you want somebody, you keep talking about this won't bow down culture, that has to start at the top. And you have to have somebody who's going to tell your players, and I wrote this in my piece on the Pelicans coaching search, you need people who are willing to get you to teach you to stand up before you don't bow down. And the Pelicans have not learned yet how to stand on their own I Stand up, yep. Absolutely. I got a couple of so, questions on this, so I'm going to let you have them. Okay, this one is from D. Trails. Uh, do you think a former coach should coach the Pelicans next or an assistant should get his chance to help lead and grow with this team? Well, I just I just pretty much voiced it, you know, from I mean, Ty Lu and Kenny Atkinson are the only two previous head coaches in the NBA that is on that list because mm-hmm. Chauncey has not been an assistant nor a head coach anywhere. Of course, Sam has been the assistant. assistant. Yeah, the lead assistant. 
you know, Jerry has been the head for the G League, but not in the NBA. So he's been the assistant. So, you know, uh, that's the route that I'm looking at, quite yeah, frankly. For both of us, it has always been, like you said, it's not about the guy in particular. Right. It's about what skill set do they bring and do they have a plan for this team? I told yep. somebody yesterday, they asked me, what about Mike D'Antoni? And I said, I don't even think about Mike D'Antoni because I don't want system coaches. Any coach who says my system, I want you yeah. to teach. As opposed to adaptation. Adaptation is essential. It's the one thing I, you know, that made it simple is Larry Brown when he said you got to play the right way. Now, the right way is different per, for each coach, what they think. The, but the, basically, yeah. the fundamentals of the right way are – Know your job, play tough, play hard, and be accountable for your mistakes. Those are always the things that that's the basis of playing the game the right way. That's it. And, Dave, it's funny mentioning Dan Tony because my question would have been, well, why do you want Dan Tony? Like, yeah, what, what has Dan Tony done? You, you already know, had like, Alvin. Has... <laughs> you already had Alvin. So what you going to do? You going to get another dude? Who gonna go continuously back to small ball again? Like, why would you want Dan Tony? He has not, and he's shown you he's just not that guy. And, and listen, I think people get upset when you say this. It's okay to not be that guy because it's hard it's to okay. be that guy. <laughs> there you are know, only thirty-three coaches in the history of the NBA who have won a title. Most will never be that guy. That guy, and that's okay. He, and then on top of that the level of, of, of dysfunction that he's been a part of in this culture in Houston, that's and the New last York. thing the Pelicans need. And in New York, that's the last thing the Pelicans need. The Pelicans need guidance and direction. The Pelicans need a winning mindset. The Pelicans need an air of time. Everything that we just alluded to before, Mike D'Antoni does not align with that adaptation. No. I mean, it's, I don't know what else to say on that subject. All right, so his next question from Coach Riggins. He's got a couple of them. One, I've seen a lot of reports of Drew Holiday being mentioned in trades. If he is moved, what type of turn would you expect to see for him? Well, last time we talked on the podcast, of course, we talked about who is on the table and who is off the table. And we mentioned, of course, Zion, Brandon Ingram, off the table. Josh Hart off the table. Exactly. And Josh Hart off the table. Everybody else? is negotiable. Let's talk. <laughs> let's see what we got. Okay? So I, I, I can't relegate it to a specific player just yet. I can't relegate it to what we need because we don't exactly know who's willing to move and what it's going to take to move these pieces. So it's a chess match, if you will. We're not playing checkers. We have to play chess. So we have to be able to say, okay, when we decide on our coach, who is it and what is it that this coach needs in order for the adaptation to matriculate itself? You can't say, this is who we need and what we want, but it doesn't fit into what that coach and that culture needs to be. So it, it, it's hard for me to say. Now, 
do we need a consistent need a consistent the three things that that the pelicans need in my mind a consistent veteran backup point guard a wing defender and a rim protector and those three things have to happen at you know the rim protector's got to be a starter the wing defender is a reserve because you got bi three the backup point guard is something that the pelicans have not had in about six years and it's ironic you mentioned that because the thing that I was about to say is that what's needed most is veteran leadership that bring an air of toughness, veteran leadership that can not only guide, even if it's – you have to have that extension to that head coach who is going to continuously – support what the head coach's direction is so the thing that you just mentioned is you have to have veterans who are going to be able to guide who are going to also be able to teach who are also going to be able to be an extension of that head coach and and you gotta be tough and consistent you have to be I'm no more nice names. guys save all that nice guy stuff man i'm gonna give you some names because this is these are names that i put as veteran low-cost free agents okay. that the Pelicans could pursue that I think would be immediately helpful to this team. Okay. At that backup point guard spot, Trey Burke. Trey Burke had oh, a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal season. They, this is a dude who shoots 38% been, from three. I have been a Trey Burke man since Trey left out of Michigan. He just hasn't been on the right teams for him to play. But even, let's not forget this, even in Utah, Trey was balling out. Last year in New York, before the the Dallas in New York, he was killing it in New York. And they didn't want to hold on to him because they were trying to make the Kevin Durant or whatever deal. Burke would be phenomenal, even to the point that if you had to sit Alonzo, uh, if Lonzo is your starter point guard, he would play starter significant minutes and have an impact. And that's the thing about it. The players that we bring in, they have to be impactful players, not just players to come because they're moving to their next journey. No, no, no. Impactful. I wish y'all could see David Groves right now giving me the pointed fingers like, that's it. That's it. That's it. Because <laughs> that's what me and Dave do. Here's number two. <laughs> now, at the, at the wing position, I had two players that I identified. Number one, because of their financial situation, and they're going to be over the cap next year, the Miami Heat are going to have to let go of somebody. Jay Crawford is an unrestricted free agent. He's only 30. No, I like me. Because that's the same thing I was – no, no, no. In, in, a, in a good way. Oh, okay. In a good way. Because he gives you an air of toughness. He also has improved his shooting range. Can defend and he a three and mind, four. He doesn't mind mixing it up. And you've never complained. He never heard him complain. Well, no, I want to play three. I want to play four. He's your – Jay Crawford is your glue guy. And he, he's the guy that you uh, – and, and, again, at seven he, – he got $7 million this year on his contract. That's the same amount that's, that the Pelicans played Darius Miller. To not play the entire season. His, exactly. And who would you have rather had this year, Darius Miller or Jay Crawford? Because oh my goodness, ain't even, even a question. So if you could get Jay Crawford at eight million, 
I'm fine with that. That's a good deal for the Pelicans. That's not an overspend in my mind. The other guy I like at the small four position is much cheaper too. And it's a guy that people have, have kind of given up on, but I think he's a low risk, high reward guy. Josh Jackson out of Memphis. The dude is six, eight athletic, mm-hmm. got the ball incredibly well in the 11 games that he got on the floor this year. He shot it really well. He brought his three-point percentage up to 37%. You know when he came out of Kansas, his whole thing was his his defensive skills were his calling card. So you can have Uh that guy in the short term as a 3 and D guy. You don't have to ask him to do much more. Run the floor, shoot the three, play solid defense. He's 24 years old. Yeah. And give me that cheap. Put him on the bench. I know he's going to compete because he wants to wants to make his. And decision. here's the other thing, Dave. He's still young. That's what I'm saying. So you he's can... he still wants to prove himself to be a legitimate guy in the league. So he is going to bring a level of tenacity every single night to show you he belongs on this floor, which is only going to strengthen your bench and your team. Might cost you two million bucks to get him. Might you might be able to get him for one and a half. I'm looking at his. I'm looking at his contract. I'm about to pull up his contract right Trey now. Trey Burke only made two hundred and thirty-nine thousand this year. Yeah, that's a steal. So, so throw that two. Throw two million at Trey. You know what I'm saying? And the Pelicans have about twenty-nine million in cap space right now. So you throw two million at Trey. You throw eight million at Crawford. Even if you kept both, got both of them, because you, you, each one's not coming back. Darius Miller's probably not coming back. So you just right there. That's fifteen million dollars for you. So those, you can fit all three of those guys in that $15 million. Now, the last guy, who also is very cheap this year, Nerlens Noel, who is looking at unrestricted free agent, going and into I a situation you with that. a new coach. You tell me Nerlens Noel could not be a difference maker from day one with the Pelicans. He definitely still wants and has something to prove. Coming off the bench in OKC, you know, he's shown – the thing that he has shown to do is two things. Be a decent rim protector, even though he's light in the pants, and he doesn't mind going in the post and playing in the post. He's not been one of those guys of late who has decided, I'm going to be a Euro big. You know, so those are two intangibles that – you definitely like his and rebound was, rate was high this year. His right? uh, he, he around the rim, he was shooting like 78% around the rim. So, you know, he, I mean, you know, he can get tip jams and that's all you're asking for him is to be basically your, your budget be DeAndre active. Jordan. That's what be you're active. asking to be. And be active. That ability for him to get up is what you did not have with Derek favors. As much as I like Fave. You, he, uh, mm-hmm. Favors can't give you the verticality. Exactly. Can he just can't get verticality. up. Mm-hmm. And all of those guys com- combined, if you gave them a 15 to 20% raise over their season from last year, you could get all of them for less than 18 million bucks. So last season, Josh made 7 million. But that was the last year of his rookie deal. That was the, that's what I'm saying. That's the last year of his rookie deal. Yeah. So he's unrestricted. He ain't got no. He's an unrestricted free agent right now. Yes. He's unrestricted free agent right now. Yeah. And he would come in with the with, with that air of toughness that you because nobody's gonna offer him seven million, not off a season where he only Nobody. played in, in, in eleven games. Yep. So why wouldn't six, you take eight, a, take a one year deal flyer six, on him? 
six eight, six eleven wingspan. That's long, what you need on the wing. The same way Brandon Ingram is long, give you the extra strength. But bigger, but bigger yeah, than yeah, Ingram. Absolutely, 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 much more physically bigger. An absolute than greyhound in the Brandon. open court. Yeah, and that's the other thing, Dave. That's the other thing that I will say this team needs. Guys who are going to get out and transition and run. They don't have – people think the Pelicans are not a great athletic team, particularly no. on the guys running the wings. Particularly mm-hmm. the guy – Brandon Ingram is long, but Brandon is not an exceptional athlete. You know what I'm saying? He don't got no great vertical. It's not like that with B.I. Your two best athletes are Zion. Well, your three best, I would say, are Zion, um, Jax, and uh, most likely Drew, because Drew is a phenomenal athlete. Drew could have been a mm-hmm. running back or a cornerback in the NFL if he really wanted to. Yeah, um, but no, but that's not. And Lonzo's a fairly athletic guy, um, you know, with his ups and he's you know, he's got some good hops. But it's not an athletic team. Yeah. Josh Hart is not an athlete. No. Terrence Williams ain't no athlete. Etwan ain't an athlete. JJ None ain't an are. athlete. You know, Nikhil is None okay, but he's not really a guy who gets up on folks. So. You know, None you need them. some athleticism and you need length. That dude is young mm-hmm. enough to give it to you cheap because it's a weak market. That's what people have to understand. The free agent market is hot garbage this year. Right. It is. So don't it, take it really, risks, really is. but you can find value. Just because you're shopping at Marshalls don't mean you can't find something good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I found a pair of... Uh, you I found Jays. They got Jays over there. <laughs> I've found I've found many a pairs of different sneakers. So absolutely top of the line. Yes, sir, my brother. All right. So <clears> I, <throat> I, I, I so to my man, tell us, um, tell us, O'Fathens. I'm sorry. I think we answered that one on the free agent list that we wanted to talk about. That was his question. Um, Wayne Glapion has is Didi Lazad expected to contribute next season? Yeah, I think he is. <laughs> I, I think he is. The Frank Jackson has not worked out. Naw is still very raw. Yeah, I think they're going to yeah, bring him over and give him a shot. They, they're not going to – they're going to give him a shot. They're going to give him a shot. You know, the thing that's funny when it comes to Frank Jackson is <clears throat> I'll never forget when he came – when he was drafted and people were just, oh, my gosh. Oh my God. I go, let me tell you something. One, temper your exuberance. I go, secondly – he is not going to be the player that you think he is because of the potential that you saw, which was a extremely small sample in college. I go, and, and, you know, and you've seen a little growth here or there, but nothing of significance or nothing that was going to make not it one, the eye popping. Not one elite NBA skill. And that's what everybody nothing. has to have. At least I can build off of one. But you don't have any elite skill. The years that he has been here could have been time he stayed in college and worked on his game. Or been in the G League or something. Exactly. Playing. Because he he just has not. So, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. There's been quite a few busts, to say the least, here. and uh, The overrating about- of Kenrich Williams, man. The overrating oh. of Kenrich was people thinking that he was going to develop a dude with bad knees and no jump shot and no handles, and you thought he was going to turn into – come on, man. I'll, I'll tell you what's funny. 
people equate seeing a little something and even with Zion, athletic ability, they equate it to maximization of them being a phenomenal talent and consistency and longevity in this league. Because this player, you know, it, it reminds me of when you see guys who have all the handles in the world and they're just out in front, just jacking around with the ball. They'll get past a defender and they'll either turn the ball over, miss a layup or throw a bad pass. But people go, Oh, but did you see him shake him up? But it is irrelevant because it yielded you nothing, nothing. So, you know, that's what we live Found in. Pound and fury get, signifying nothing. Yeah, they get enamored with that, and they have to understand we're looking at the game in a different perspective and not in this, ooh, look at the cachet and look at the flat. That means nothing to anybody. It's not going to win you anything. Yeah, it gets front page of the headlines. Yeah, it gets you, you know, uh, YouTubed and shown all over social media. But it ain't winning you nothing. And if you are not winning, it means nothing. Nothing. All right. Um, Kay Glapp asks thoughts about Jason Kidd as a possible coach. I'm going to say this real quick. Jason Kidd is a bigger cancer than any other head coaching candidate out there. Jason Kidd has been bad for every organization he has ever been a part of. He has destroyed every organization he has ever been a part of. Go to Cal. He got his first coach fired at Cal. You go to get to the NBA. He ruins the Mavericks before they even get started. They got Jamal Mashburn, Jimmy Jackson, Jason Kidd, and it didn't last a year and a half. That's on Mm -hmm. Kidd. He did that. Then he gets traded to Phoenix. He goes to Phoenix. They never get out the first round with him in Phoenix. So people keep talking about how he's great. In, he wasn't great in Phoenix. This is when he was wearing that blonde hair and stuff. In Phoenix. Y'all don't remember. Then he goes <laughs> to New Jersey. Yes, they make the finals twice. But then he cuts Byron Scott's knees out from under him. Lawrence Frank comes in. He don't like Lawrence Frank. So <laughs> then kid gets – he cheats. He goes to Dallas, wins a ring with Dallas. Dallas offers to re-sign him. He uses their number to get leverage and go to the Knicks because he thinks that after he retires, he's going to be the Knicks head coach. Head coach, yes. So he played Dallas, goes over to the Knicks. The Knicks don't work out with him because the last year he's there when they make the Eastern Conference Finals, he didn't hit a shot in in the five-game loss to to, uh, Indiana. You remember that? Didn't hit a shot. Mm -hmm. Very well. Very well. So then he retires, becomes head coach in Brooklyn. Sabotaged Brooklyn. Sabotaged, sabotaged it to the highest. Then, because he wanted more power, goes over to Milwaukee. Milwaukee kills Larry Drew, takes <laughs> over. Then the one good thing he did was put the ball in Giannis's hands and say, "You can, you can, you have point guard skills. Be a point guard." That's the right. one good thing he did. Because then he put the pressure on, and he's doing the bullshit on the sidelines of, "I'm out of timeouts, bump into me, I'm spilling my drink." Then he's out of there. Jason Kidd's personality, and then you bring it in with David Griffin. Man, that, that's oil and water right there. That wouldn't work. That wouldn't work for, for half a season. I'll tell you my thoughts on Jason Kidd, given we were talking about the coaches that are needed for the Pelicans. You didn't hear me mention Jason Kidd, did you? <laughs> Moving on. 
Last one from my man, FM Sammy. This is my dude. Um, give me your take on the current co- assistant coaching staff. Who would you like to retain? Do any fit better with head coaches we're looking at? I mean, I think you, you, I, you, you clearly you want to retain um, uh, Fred Vincent. Fred Vincent. Everybody else is negotiable. I'm sorry. It just is. Jeff Bisdelic, he may not fit with the next coach. I'm, and you, you see, know. and that's what I was just about to say. Dave, outside of – here's what it would take. First of all, whoever that next head coach is would have to have a sit-down with Fred Vincent because everybody wants to bring in their guys because I'm sure Sam Cassell, Ty Lue, they all have their guys that they think are great shooting coaches, all right, or great internally – and with the players. Now, I would keep Fred also because you look at the players that you have here and the relationship that he has with Brandon, relationship that he has with Zion. So you don't want to just go ahead and separate everything as a whole. Keep some familiarity. Exactly. You want to keep some familiarity. You want to keep that relationship so that Fred can also school. Let's say if I'm Chauncey and I get the job. Let's say if I'm Sam and I get the job. All right, Kenny and I get the job. Fred is the guy that you would bounce stuff off of who can tell you when it comes to Zion, when he tells you how to come to Brandon and Lonzo and so on and so forth, and Nikhil and so on and so forth. So you need that one guy. He's the good so cop. Again, He's yeah. the good cop. Everybody exactly. likes Fred. Yeah. And, you, and yeah. like you said, he, he's the guy that if, if the head coach has got a snap on folks, Fred is the guy who pats him on the butt and can get him in. And he's also tough enough, like you said, get him in the drills, get him in there and shoot, get him to develop – for a, t- a roster of young players who have seen a lot of turnover in their lives already, in their mm-hmm. young careers. Some stability right. is necessary. Freddie Vince is the only one, though, that I think is that you have to have. Bizdelic is a guy who's a former head coach. He's a dude who already left the game once. He's at a certain age. I don't know if he wants to fit in with the guy who's in his 20s or 30s, I mean, in his, low, in his 30s, early 40s as a head coach. He may not want to right. do that. And then with Chris Finch, Chris Finch has his own aspirations of being a head coach. I don't think if you're a new guy, whoever these, if it's a, a, a guy who's taking over his first head coaching job, I am always, I want experienced assistants, but I don't want experienced assistants who have agendas. Because if, right. if my guy is going to eventually become a head coach, that's cool. But if you come on my bench year one and you're thinking about your next job, man, you ain't committed to what I'm building here. There's no way you can be. So if, you're, if your intent is not to be around for a while with me, I need to know that up front. And the irony of you mentioning that, of having a guy who wants to be a head coach on your staff, and that's fine long term, but not coming with me at this particular juncture. The other day I'm listening to NBA radio on Sirius XM with uh, Kamala and Antonio Daniels and he and AD made a comment about coaches specifically as it related to Doc Rivers being let go and saying well if you're going in a different direction and you want to change the culture why would you hire the assistant coach on your bench I disagree vehemently and there's no validity to that because let me tell you I'm going to drop it for you, okay? In Toronto, Nick Nurse took over for Dwayne Casey. That's true. And what happened? Second, and I thought about it, I'm like, that's not true at all, okay? 
Second, Tyron Lou took over for David, David Black. Black. What happened? That's okay, you get the answer. Yeah. So Phil Jackson still took over for Doug. Phil Collins. Jackson took over for Doug Collins. So I disagree with him saying that when it comes to an assistant coach because it has been done, it can be done, and it has yielded you a title or competing. Exactly. So you know AD is both of our guys. Love me some AD just like you do. That's our guy. But, and I tried to call in to mention that to him because I wanted to mention that. It can work. You see, as an assistant coach, you still have to go along with that head coach. Even though you're presenting ideas, you still have a, a way of what you want to do things yeah. and you see how it can change. It doesn't even remove you from saying, well, I was under this particular coach, so I'm going to have his philosophy. That's a job. That's a job. Yeah, exactly. That don't mean I think the way you think. I needed a job, man. <laughs> exactly. And I'm going and you know, and I'm going to support you. Right. And I'm going to give you some advice and some direction of things that I'm seeing, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to follow you in your path to a T. No. I'm going this direction because I saw some things that you did as a head coach that I wouldn't have done and you shouldn't have done that I won't do. So just wanted to mention that real quickly as well. Oh. Because yeah, it, and, and, oh, oh, yeah, one we're forgetting too. Spo, because he was on the staff for um, Van with Gundy. With Van Gundy. And he was Van on Riley's staff when Riley took over for Van Gundy. So he handed it over to Spo, an assistant coach, and Spo ran with it. So, so it, it has it, worked plenty yeah. of times. And that's talking about, we're talking about what, between Riley? I mean, not Riley, between Phil with, with six titles in Chicago, uh, Spo with two in Miami, uh, <laughs> Nick Nurse with one. These move-ups have been okay. They have, have It's worked of, out. Worked out. Yeah. It superseded and worked out extremely well. So, hey. <laughs> it, it all, and that's why I tell people all the time, everything is situational. Everything yeah. is situational. You can... Larry Brown didn't forget to be a good coach or how to it's coach in, in Charlotte or New York. The situation was no longer right for Larry Brown. The wrong team, wrong times for Larry Brown in those spots. You know what I'm saying? You know, George Carl, who I compare Doc Rivers to a lot, and people get mad at me, but I don't understand why. George Carl mm. was one of the most successful coaches for almost two decades in the NBA. Won 60 games four times in Seattle. But it didn't work out in Seattle for the same kind of reasons with Doc. Chemistry issues in Seattle. Pissed off Sean Kemp. Everything dies. Goes to Milwaukee. Has big dog Ray Allen and Sam Cassell, who is a common thread in all this too, because Kevin Garnett's greatest success came with Sam Cassell. Milwaukee's greatest success for Giannis, for Giannis got there, came with Sam Cassell. And <laughs> Houston Rockets, the only time they won the championships, Sam Cassell was playing for him. There's so, a reason and why. when Boston won its championship, Sam was there too. <laughs> There's a reason why Sam is number one on my list, and I have been saying this. But get back to George Carl. It ends bad in Milwaukee. Sam is out the door, goes to Minnesota. Ray ends up in uh, Seattle. Big Dog is down in San Antonio. You blew up an Eastern Conference Finals team that should have beaten Philadelphia in 2001. They were the better team. But Carl, could again, a guy who has never gotten a team over the hump. 
goes to Never. Denver, gets him to a Western Conference Finals. They, but they, that was as far as they got with him. Then after that, failure in Sacramento, right? It, just, it was awful there. And that's the end. Epic failure. At some point, it, 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 and before he won there, he was a bust in Cleveland. People forget George Carl coached in Cleveland and we got fired real quick. So it's situational. Everybody who you think is a good coach, they could be a bad coach and get bad results in a different situation. People who you view as bad yes. coaches can get the right results in, in different situations. In right Our situation. problem with Alvin always was the team was not built for Alvin. That team was a, a hodgepodge of people that Dell and the front office were trying to throw together because of a stupid edict by ownership. Mm-hmm. That team was never going to be successful for Alvin. It was never going never. to work right. Mm-hmm. In a different situation, Alvin could have been more successful. I don't know if you ever would have won a championship. You both have said it. He's a 500 coach for his career. That's what you're generally going to get. But he, I don't think he would have bombed the same way he did in New Orleans because it would have been a different situation. You would have had ownership that was more amenable, possibly. People who give you better talent. People who don't just let your injured players get replaced by guys off the street. <laughs> but that's my thing is people who think that they know definitively like say oh we too good for doc rivers we're talking about situations you got to have the right person at the right time with the right concepts so i am not ever going to be hung up on one coach's name because i want to see no. what they bring to the table skill wise that's it and that's the thing and that's I, I think that is has been the the main crux of you and I talking when it comes to coaches is that it's not about the name, you know, it's this ain't about, college. yeah, it's not about the name. You don't need cachet. It's the NBA. Okay. It's the NBA. You don't need the cachet. You need someone that is going to take your organization and your team and bring them to that next level who is going to develop them. You, you know, who is going to change the gauntlet and who is not set on, as we said, like with a dad, Tony, this is my way and that's going to be it. And it's like, dude, you cannot adapt. And because you can't adapt, you will lose. You will lose every time because of lack of adaptation. It's really just that simple. And, and I will give, you know, before, because I know you got to run, but I'm going to say this too. I'll give Frank Bogle the credit of this. He figured out the Lakers were not a good offensive team real quick. <laughs> And he went to defense. He said, we're just going to beat the crap out of people with our physicality. We're all He big. brought his East Coast to the West. He we ain't really East that Coast fast, West. but we're just going to beat the crap out of people. And when people talk about coaches needing cachet, like you said, Nick Nurse is never going to have cachet. It don't matter how many times he wins. He's Nick Nurse. It's not, it's not cachet. Free agents aren't going to be like, I, I got to play for Nick Nurse. There aren't even that but many coaches in the league. There ain't even that many coaches in the league that you say, I want to play for. It don't matter. Like, that's not the thing. It's the organization. It's the talent. It's the money. If the Pelicans are offering the right money and they're winning, it really won't even matter who the coach is because it's yep. the free agents are looking for opportunities to win and opportunities to get paid. That's always been the that's NBA. The stars are going to get coaches fired if they want them, if they don't want them, and they're going to kick coaches who maybe don't need to stay longer than they do if the star likes them. That's just the way it works in the NBA. Let me give you another one since you mentioned Frank Vogel and, as I was saying, bringing that East Coast toughness to the West Coast and defending and, and, and then going from there. Uh, you want to talk about adaptation? 
you want to talk about adapting? Because when other teams were going small, he went somewhat big, small. Super big. Well, what I was going to say oh. is that he went, he went somewhat small every now and again, but he played to his strengths the same way he is in the finals. Last night, what did we see? And I tweeted it earlier today. We're going to go big and play traditional basketball. Why? Because you don't have it, and it benefits me. That is the job of coaching. That is the job of adaptation. I know with Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I got 6'9", 6'11", and 7 feet. You can't adapt. I don't care how well Bam Adebayo has been playing. I don't care how well Tyler Hero has been playing and, 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 and so on and so forth and Dragic. Bro, you are going to have to adapt my way. And it started off slow for the Lakers last night. Yeah, down 23-10, and then you go 75-40. I am going to play to my strengths and make you play the way I dictate basketball and then by the way i got my point guard who truly is mr playoff coming off the bench for me who's going to take me to another shifting of gears and level as well which will then open things up for everybody else to get going so i have to give vogel credit for his adaptation and adjusting to games on the fly that is going to yield benefits for his basketball team to put them in positions to win. That is what coaching is. So whoever the Pelicans get, that's what you need to bring with you, that adaptation. And let's just wrap on this. I just want to get a quick thought on this because, yeah, we, again, we talk about numbers versus impact. That's always been our thing, numbers versus impact. That's what we talk about. Yes, if we you do. looked at the stats last night from this game, take the players out of it. When we talk about things that usually mean wins, the Heat had they, – they had more um, – they, they didn't turn the ball over as much as the Lakers. They beat them mm-hmm. in the turnover battle. They yes. had more fast break points. They, had, they beat them in points in the paint, which was a surprise. Which is a surprise. They, had few, they committed fewer fouls. But the things they didn't do, you give up 15 threes, 11 of them in the first half. Yeah. 11 of them in the first half because of bad defense. It wasn't because the Lakers were, were doing something great. They did not rotate well, and then that zone was ridiculous. And then you allow the Lakers 27 free throw attempts. And AD gets 10 of them and goes 10 for 10. If you're going to let AD shoot, you better not foul him. And AD, 10 of 10 from the free throw line. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to sh- let him shoot, don't foul him because he's, okay. he, he's always been a very good free throw shooter. Don't mm-hmm. give him easy points. Make him shoot those jumpers. That's the only way you're going to win is making him shoot those jumpers, not letting him shoot those jumpers. Again, Lakers went to the free throw line 27 times and made 25 of the 27. The Heat, on the other hand, only went to the line 14 times. And, yeah, they made 11 of 14, but you didn't have enough quantity to even put yourself in a position. The rebound disparity, 22 difference, 62 to 40. And why was that? I got A.D. and Dwight Howard in here boarding everything that comes off and you can see they told dwight they told dwight don't even worry about scoring don't even think about it just Just grab the ball and they did like you mentioned 
Miami beat them in a turnover battle. They had very minimal turnovers. They took care of the basketball. Eight to 12 ratio, you know. But again, surprisingly, as you said as well, Miami beat them with points in the paint. Now, nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw uh, the Lakers making uh, 15 threes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody saw the Lakers making 15 threes or so on and so forth. But here's the thing about it. Miami made 11 threes, so it's not as if it was a huge disparity there. It, but again, it's when uh, they made them. See, it's remember when, about, it's they, when they made, made them. them. You give yep. up 10 in 11 and one half, 11 and one half is completely irresponsible. It's a recipe, it's a recipe for losing. And, and they were now, clean looks. They were clean now, looks. Here's the bad part about it just goes to show you how momentum plays such a huge factor in games, Dave. As you know, now you factor in Miami already had a tough task in front of them, as I tweeted last night. Now you add in the injury bug, and Miami has been fortunate that they haven't had to deal with any injuries. Answer. But you lose Answer. you lose Bam, Jimmy Butler, who was limping, as well as the Dragon. Bro. The Dragon's injury, I, I know they're talking about he may be back for game three. I think he but is But that's a done. plantar tear. A plantar tear. You know what it, that is. It, plantar fasciitis bro, is just plantar, plantar fasciitis hurt when it's not a tear. How can he okay, play? So He's a guard. He had his whole thing is on quick movements. Quickness. I don't understand how he can play. I don't mean he's not. He's not. I don't see him coming back. Not at 34 years old. No. no. And it's and, and and I really hate that it happened because man, he was playing phenomenally. And he's an unrestricted was, free agent too. And I was looking forward to the matchup between him and Rajon, this series, man. I thought it was going to be a really fun matchup. Two bright basketball minds at the same time, but then you lose Bam out of bio, who, who Jimmy has even told you has been your glue guy, has given your air of toughness that you needed and so on and so forth, all right? And then Jimmy is limping now. Bruh, again, it was a tall task before, and now that task just became almost insurmountable in this short period of time. And the Lakers, you can see LeBron is chomping at the bit to be motivated to beat Spo and to beat Coach Riley because he wanted them to make change. He wanted Riles to make changes while he was there. So if anybody ever tells you that they're not holding a grudge and it's just another game, they're lying. it couldn't be more of a lie now than ever because it would be great vindication for LeBron to beat his old team where that old team would not bow down and acquiesce to him in his demands. And don't think Riles don't want to beat the only team in his life that he has has not beaten. Not beaten. Is the Lakers. He He beat the Celtics. He's beaten the Knicks. He's 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 salivating. He's salivating and chomping at the bit. And I guarantee you him and Coach Spoke has had many a conversations since last night of just how bad they they want to they didn't How much they want to beat the Lakers now more than ever. And I guarantee you, Riles is like, just battle. Just battle. Don't even put ourselves in a position where we're down by 20 and 30 again. We just have to battle, and it means all hands on deck. Even when that means Kendrick Nunn, who came in at the end and was shooting the ball well. He's going to get his time again and so on and so forth. And I know the Lakers haven't prepared themselves for that for the long haul but I'm pretty sure they are today and so on and so forth going into Friday's Well, oh, they're going to be working on double teams today too because you got to come quicker at AD. If you come slow, oh, he, yeah. we know he can at least pass it if you're coming slow, but if you come right. fast, that's when he struggles with that decision. 
So exactly. you have to, you have to, if you're going to send it, better send it hard. I thought that they were yep. going to try to guard him straight up and send the doubles at LeBron and get the ball out of LeBron's hands. At LeBron's hands. I don't like doubling AD. I do not like doubling AD. I never have. I, I didn't understand when teams would do it because it just doesn't seem necessary to me. It has never seemed necessary. When you double, it has to be, when you double, it has to be LeBron because LeBron is their engine that makes them go. AD is just the recipient or benefactor off of LeBron, you know, but that's, but that's imperative for this team. I got to be honest in this series, brother, if Miami win one, they're fortunate because yeah, I think they the win Lakers, one off of pride that, that Miami, you know, ain't the Lakers are just so much better and so dominant right now. And, you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about it and the entire overall landscape in January, Kobe passes away, which was, it feels extremely like forever haunting. ago, too. That feels like you know, forever which, ago now. You know, which was extremely haunting, given everything that's going on, because that pretty much set it all off right there. For this year. But, yeah, that set it off all right there, because it was in January. And then for them to be in a position right now to win a title during that course of that same basketball season, even though prolonged because of the COVID and stuff like that. But – you want to talk about a, 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 a story of a lifetime, you know, all the, tra- the, 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 the traumatic situation that took place at the beginning. Now winning a championship at the end. And it's, you know, it's all the stars are lined up for the Lakers to win it all right now. Mm-hmm. They just are. And that's why it's so funny seeing AD. Cause I know you saw the tweets as well. Once the Pels are in the bubble and the Lakers had their moments and so on, people was like, well, I guess the Pels got the better end of that deal. And I was always like, given what? Like, how are you figuring that? You haven't even gotten through the season yet. Like, what makes you think? Like, his goal was to get an NBA championship. Yeah, he joined, you know, LeBron. And people, of course, didn't like the way it was handled and so on and so forth. But, hell. Everybody uh, won the deal. AD got what he wanted. Yeah, AD got what he wanted. And the Pelicans got movable pieces, and they got the NBA draft. And, you know, so, so again, it was a win-win for everybody. I'm not mad if AD wins his title. The only, no, thing, not, the only time we ever have a discussion about AD in my mind is that we just – I think Lakers fans who did not watch <laughs> him for seven years, the discussion has never been about his talent. It has never been about his ability. And we're going to wrap on Because we've seen his, you know, because we've seen his game elevate over every year. It, it, it has. It's, it's, I mean, you can't that deny has that. never been the question. We've never right. questioned his abilities as, an, as a basketball player. It's always been what's between Absolutely. the ears. And mm-hmm. what he found in L.A. is not a better organization per se. What he found was the player in LeBron James who allowed Anthony Davis to be Anthony Davis without the same pressure. He didn't have, he does not have to be the savior of anything. LeBron wears that no matter what. It don't matter if LeBron's 36, 37. And I will tell you this, AD reflected his, his personality has not changed. When he says, I will follow LeBron for six or seven more years, that's the same AD. That is not a negative. It's just who the man is. His high school coach, his AAU coach have always said Anthony Davis doesn't want to be the guy. And that is not an insult. He wants to be one of And he's always shown you that. He's always shown you that he doesn't want to be that guy. 
you know, there are certain people that are just, and, 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 and being a follower is not a knock, a That's negative, a hard thing to or be too. a bad thing. Because you have to also accept that role of a follower. But it's, but, but, but it makes more sense and it's easier to be a follower when the person in front of you is a good leader. Absolutely. That's the difference. You're not just following anybody randomly, willy-nilly. You're following somebody who, has, who, who, who enjoys being that number one leader guy. That's his role. And then in Anthony, you have a guy that doesn't want to be and enjoy his role as a follower. Because here's what you don't have. You don't have two alpha males butting heads like you did in Cleveland with the kid and LeBron. You don't have that to worry about. Like you did in New Orleans with AD and Boogie. And Boogie. (laughs) You You don't have to be bothered with that. You can just almost fly underneath the radar, so to speak, if you will. It's it, it, the failure this year. If they didn't win the title, the burden wasn't going to be on AD. It was going to be LeBron is three and LeBron. seven in the finals, or or yep. if they didn't get there, it wasn't yep. going to be on AD. So yep. he he is playing without fear because LA. First of all, because he's also a free agent, LA ain't going to say a damn thing bad about him, right? <laughs> so there's no pressure. This is the first time in his life, really. Because even at Kentucky, there was pressure, like, because that was the only team under Cal that's won. So mm-hmm. there was pressure at Kentucky. There was pressure being the number one pick. There was pressure to be the savior in New Orleans. In L.A., he gets to be a star, and he gets to be with LeBron. It hadn't, and it didn't change his public profile. He ain't got more commercials. He ain't got more fame. He's not none of those things. But he, he gets to be a star. He's he, gets to be, he gets to be a star without having to be the star burden that comes with being a star. He doesn't have to, (laughs) you know, he gets to still be the man and still talked about all over the league as one of the best in the game without having to deal with the responsibility of being the star. And that's okay because he's playing to his role. LeBron, on the other hand, has different shoulders and he can hold the weight of that all. It worked out well. LeBron allowed AD last night. It's LeBron's fury that gave AD the fury. That's why you saw AD willing to be physical last night. That's why you didn't see him on the ground like you've seen him in other games. He didn't, you didn't have that moment. Even when he got that one little, there was one time he grabbed his hand, shook it off, kept going. There are times right. previous we would have seen him be like, I got to go sit down for a minute. Let me look at this. Right. LeBron ain't allowing oh, that him. For a while. LeBron ain't allowing that. locker room. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, I think the series is over for all intents and purposes. I thought the Heat would do – if they were fully healthy, I thought this could go six or seven. They're not – at this point, they'll be lucky for it to go five. Yeah, seriously. In, in all honesty, I don't – everything would have to go perfect. And the Lakers would just have to be totally – off. Somebody got to have to get hurt. Off. LeBron or AD would have to get hurt at this point. Yeah. LeBron or AD would have to get outside hurt. Of, outside of that, unfortunately, Miami just doesn't have. And this is when this is when your superstars and your talent takes over. Hard work can get you here. Hard work can keep you in games. But at some point in time, just like Vogel did, we're going to go out here and play traditional basketball, and we're going to win us a championship. This is what it's going to take. 
This is what I need you guys to buy into. Bam. And it's changed every series because let's not forget there were the, what, the first two series, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard barely even got off the bench. Yep. Again, what do we need in the coach? Adjustment, adaptation, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and every so, one of those guys knows. I mean, you know, Morris, there's some games he's out there and sometimes he's not. And it's just, dude, yep. tonight is not your night. Yep. And everybody accepts it. You don't, you don't hear complaining. Yep. You, don't, you don't hear it out of L.A. So I give him credit for that. Brother, we gotta go. Absolutely. I got, uh, but yeah, yeah, man. We, next week we'll be deeper in the fi- uh, the finals. Might be over by the time we talk next week, and finals maybe the Pelicans might will have a over. But of course, we uh, always thank everybody for their questions. But we talked about the coaches because uh, Darius Beard hit me up on Twitter, of course, as well, saying, asking, "Where's our list of preferred coaches?" like we did back in 2015 before Alvin. So I hit him up and told him, make sure you listen to the podcast because even prior to the podcast, we both have listed who we said it many times. coaches. Yeah, we, 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 we've been talking about it. So go read Darius on the bird, bird. Right, I write it up. There you go. So Darius Bird, you know, we appreciate you, my brother, as always, for listening to Hard in the Paint with David Grubbs and especially on Thursdays when we go high low as me and Dave love to do, man. And, Again, to everybody else that asked you the questions, Mr. Glappin' them and so on and so forth. You know, that's one thing I will say that I love that we do that a lot of other podcasts don't do is that we shout out our Twitter followers and we answer their questions that they want answered and acknowledge them. So, again, man, we greatly appreciate that. And I that, appreciate the fact that there's a lot of folks who just want some real basketball conversation. Real basketball. That, that, and Dave, and that's the thing that you and I have always prided ourselves on. We're going to give you the real in-depth aspects of the game of basketball and not just tell you, well, this person won't work. This person will work. But we're going to tell you why and give you scenarios and situations on how it has worked and how it hasn't worked. Just like just now, how I brought up the fact about Antonio Daniels saying the changing of a coach that's already on the bench is not going to work. And I'm like, no, I beg to differ totally. So we're going to get into all of that. And that's what makes this so much fun, my brother. I greatly appreciate you, family, man. You, you know, know it's, always, it's always 100 with you, my brother. Always, man. And, and we, we keep it 100 with the listeners. And, hey, we've been wrong before. Um, but I'll tell you this. I've never run away. And you don't ever run away from what we say. Because no, can't. At the very least, anybody who listens to us, you know this. It comes from a place of of research. It's not coming yes. from a place of just we want to. This ain't we ain't first taking it over here and just spitting. Yeah, shit. we ain't just no we ain't no we ain't no fans like that. You no. know, no. <laughs> and that's that's the whole thing is whenever I get attacked on Twitter, the thing I was telling people is like, I'm not like I'm not a Pelicans fan in that regard. I'm not right. a, like I grew up rooting for the honestly I grew up rooting for the Lakers and the Knicks. Those were the teams right. that I rooted for. So if you think how that could I, you not? You know that's like that, you know that's like that's like when people get upset with me because I'm not a Saints fan. Well, you're from New Orleans, but hold on, time out, time out, time out. Yeah, I'm from here, but you have to understand, a culture was set up in me by my, you know, by those who played ball before me. So, so all I ever understood was winning. So as a little child, I gravitated to a team that was winning because that's what I'm like. 
well, I'm not going to just root for a team. All they do is losing it from my city. I get it. It's your city. It's your culture. You're supposed to root for the home team. I don't know where that rule ever came from. I don't owe nobody nothing. Exactly. (laughs) I like winning. I know what losing tastes like. So why would I run a route for a team that doesn't win? So I, too, grew up being nothing but a L.A. Lakers fan because that's what they did. They were winning, man. And I wanted to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I was a big lover. Like I was always a lover of centers. That's what I wanted to be. I wished every night when I went to sleep that I was going to wake up and be seven feet tall. So the guys that I wanted to be were – Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then it was Patrick Ewing in 1984. And those were the two guys that I, I swore that I was going to grow up and be. And I stopped growing at 6'3". <laughs> now, but, I'm going to give you, since I got a little bit age, a little bit more age on you, even in addition to the Lakers, who was my other team? The Philadelphia 76ers. Moses Why? Doc. Because of Dr. J. Dude, every pair George of sneakers McGinnis. that I had – Every pair of sneakers that I had growing up were Converse Dr. J's. Dude, he was the first one that could fly through the air. He was the first one that I saw that just wowed you on a basketball court, and they were winning. But I can go even further back to that when he was playing with New Jersey, bro. I mean, so nothing against the Saints or the Jazz, but – that's what I grew up on. That's all that I saw. In that same vein, I was more of a Knicks fan on the East Coast as well because Earl the Pearl. All right? I mean, bruh, Walt Clyde Frazier, Bernard King. People don't – Dave, I wish people really spent the time that you and I spend watching this game and growing up in this game. People don't realize BK used to give cats the business. Bruh. But Nori King was ridiculous. Everything that Carmelo Anthony can do, Bernard <laughs> King could do it. And look, but Bernard King looked weirder doing it because he just had one of them weird bodies. But he was he could get up. Bruh. Bernard dunked on anybody. Bernard anybody shoot it. The turn he had the greatest turnaround jumper on the baseline I've ever Bruh. seen. The elevation B-K. and it dropped all the time. BK was the king of New York for a reason, man. The only dude you've ever seen, the first guy to come back in the NBA from two torn ACLs. ACLs. And this is a long time ago when ACLs started much different. And he came back and made the all-star team with the bullets. Dude, like, go. these are things. uh, Oh, check this out. Today on, on Twitter, somebody from a Slam magazine Asked the question is was Zion Williamson the most exciting high school player ever? And I just started ticking off names: Ronnie Fields, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson. There's like right. the immediacy of basketball fans and their unwillingness oh. to understand the history of the game. The Please just go look game. up the older they, players, man. Please. The prisoners, the prisoners of the moment today are clueless on the cats. That played ball. Kenny Anderson, Rod Strickland. Kenny Anderson was in in Sports (laughs) Illustrated and the seventh grade. Lamar Odom was such a big deal in high school that two coaches got fired trying to recruit him. Sweet P. Daniels, 
who was a legend in New York. I mean, this is just New York people. Just New Yorkers. If you go, Tracy McGrady was literally the biggest thing in North Carolina when he was there. And at the same time as Tracy McGrady was playing high school ball in North Carolina, I was going to school with Tim Duncan. Glenn Rice was the leading scorer for the Charlotte Hornets. And Carolina and Duke had – Carolina was over there with Rasheed Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse. And people Uh were telling you Tracy McGrady was the best basketball player in the state of North Carolina no matter the level. So anybody will say that all of a sudden just now – Come on, man. I'm going to give you another one since they're right here in Louisiana. Perry McDonald was averaging 30-plus as a high school senior. Randy Livingston. Randy – Bruh, what are you talking Lester about? Earl. What are you talking about? I'm like, dude, know your history and the game. How about this? I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you this. How about a four-time uh all-state in, in, in four sports, all-state in four sports out of California? Dave Winfield. Yes. Dave Winfield chose baseball, but he, he got had drafted in every sport. In every sport. He got drafted by the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the (laughs) AFL. He got drafted by two football leagues, the NBA, (laughs) and the the Major League Baseball. Come on, man. Prisoners of the moments. Magic Johnson in high school. Do you understand? This is all this stuff happened before video. And Magic Johnson in Lansing, not East East Lansing where Michigan State is, Lansing, which is outside of that, which is the smaller, blacker Mm -hmm. part of town. The Vikings, uh-huh. the high school team he played for, Magic Magic Johnson. My daddy lived in um, in Texas, but his family was in Jackson, and he would go up to Jackson, you know, every once in a while to go visit his family because um, he okay. lived with his grandparents. Magic was a legend across Michigan, and nobody had seen him. This is not the same time when this stuff. And we talk, and they, oh, what, oh. He, from Chicago. Talk about the Chicago guys. Derek Rose, Dang. you go all the way back. Ben, uh, go back to Benji Wilson, Isaiah Thomas in Kevin high school. Kevin Garnett out of high school. KG Ronnie Fields, his teammate. Bruh, it, Bruh. High sc- come on. We ain't going to do this and talk about no Dang. Zion Wilson being the greatest, high, most exciting high school player of all time. We ain't going to do this. Make you laugh. Make you laugh. Make you laugh. Two quick points before I go and you go, bro. Because we could do this. People don't realize we could do this all day, every yeah, day, eight, nine hours. And, this could just be a, and not a just life. talk about and not just talk about what's going on now in the game, but literally give them a history lesson of the game. But Sinbad, the comedian, does this joke, and people don't realize Sinbad is six eight, Magic six nine, six eight, whatever. They play University of Denver. Exactly. All right. So he, too, grew up in Michigan, all right? Yep. That said, Sinbad said that in high school, everybody was talking about Magic Johnson, Lansing and East Lansing, but everybody knew who Magic Johnson was. He goes, he also, he goes, he was also known as a hellfire basketball player, too. He goes, he finally had the chance to play against Magic his senior year. Sinbad goes, I've been telling jokes ever since. <laughs> Bro, man, when Sinbad told me that, I go, that's you. That's when you know how cold a dude really is on the court, that he makes you quit playing basketball and make you realize you ain't the man. And then I'm going to leave you on, on one with the legacy. 
that it's amazing that anybody would even say such a thing, bro. Obviously, they'd never heard about this guy out of New York that went to Powell Memorial named Lou Alcindor. The greatest Do you understand, basketball player who ever walked Do you the understand they changed the rules in college basketball because of his dominance? Dude, it's he, amazing to me that people, people want to talk this game but don't know the game. And they forget, too. If you don't know the history of basketball, there was no such thing as West Coast basketball pretty much outside of San Francisco's run when they had Bill Russell. Mm-hmm. Nobody went west a- to play ball. No one. And Bill Russell came from small, small town Louisiana, moved to Oakland. Yes, he did. And, and, and yep. that's the only reason he went to USF, University of San Francisco, is because he was from that's- Oakland. That's it. Yep. Yep. Who Al Cinder opened up the <laughs> west – to everybody by deciding to go to UCLA because UCLA. No, one, no one believed that the king of New York City was going to not choose St. John's or was not going to choose CCNY yep. or was not going to choose one of the powerful schools on the East Coast. He went to California and one man, one 18-year-old young man changed the landscape college of basketball. basketball forever by there is no UCLA dynasty. Without Lou Alcindor, and, and for those of you that, and for those that may not know who Lou Alcindor is, he's known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar now. Okay, and he's been holding the, the league scoring record for thirty years. And let's not forget this day: he's been holding that record and never shot one three-pointer in his life. I think he what made more? one in his career. I think he made one in his entire career. All right, well, and it was like okay. one of the desperation ones, you know, like at the end of a game. Yeah. Okay, but. Again, this is all on sky hooking you to death. And this think about this. Remember this too. He held the UCLA and the Pac-12, Pac, at the time, Pac-8 scoring record. He held the UCLA yep. scoring record all the way until Reggie Miller broke it. And Reggie Miller. played four right. years. Alcindor played three years. And Reggie three got years. to shoot threes. <laughs> Alcindor never <laughs> shot a three. And he couldn't dunk for again. two and a half years. <laughs> again. If you come to us with something, make sure you bring all the necessary arsenal and weapons that you have because you don't understand the basketball knowledge that me and David Grubb have. We are not prisoners of the moment or fans of the game. We are students and we understand the game and we go back to when the game. People don't even know who Connie Hawkins was. People don't even know and understand the impact of George Gervin. Like or, you mentioned earlier, George McGinnis. Bro, Dave, we could go on and on and on. And, I, and the one I like to talk to, too, is when everybody talks about how new this offense and stuff is right now, everybody talking about, the, the oh, this is the NBA evolution. Go study. There's one name. Every person who thinks, who loves offensive basketball, there's one man you need to know. John McClendon. John oh, man. McClendon. If you do not know who John McClendon is, look him up. John McClendon learned the game of basketball from James Naismith. John McClendon is the man who invented up-tempo basketball. Yes, sir. There had never been up-tempo basketball before John McClendon. John McClendon developed it. Again. And he taught it to to Ben Job, to Bobby Crimmins, to people all. The same offense that Mike D'Antoni is running a variation of, John McClendon was running in the 1950s. When you come to us 
make sure you have done your research and your homework because we are going to school you in addition to we're going to give you a history lesson as well on the game as you might have whole. to add that as a piece of the show. A regular thing is I like a that. player or a sec a, or an event or something like that, and and just break down that player and talk about their greatness like and then players, coaches, all kinds. We're gonna add that. We're gonna add that. I we like gotta that, go because y'all yeah, know you gotta, get uptown. you gotta get uptown. You gotta get uptown. I gotta take that, my baby bro. girl. We're gonna add that for next week. Yeah, yeah. More stuff Let's for the fans. Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> so for <laughs> my man Dino, we out of run, but this I hope y'all got a lot out of this. Enjoy it. <laughs> and we're gonna do it again next Thursday and the Thursday after that until the wheels fall off. Yes, sir, my brother. For Dino, I am David Grubb. This has been Martin.